From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parm, Zach Barry here with me today. A little different show for today. We're going to go down memory lane a little bit. Not lone lane. Memory lane a little bit today as we uh, we each pick a topic, go through it, uh, the what ifs, the uh, the main points from it as well. Uh, seasons and Ole Miss Pass, weekends and Ole Miss Pass, however we want to do it, that uh, that we remember that uh, we think are going to have some some meaning down the road and already do if they've uh, been a little while away. So we'll get into that here uh, coming up on the show. The show brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Use the Speed Pass Plus app. You can uh, protect yourself as much as possible when you're getting fuel because you pay right there on the app. Don't have to touch those uh, dirty, nasty card readers. You can pay on the app and move on with your day there with all Blue Sky locations, including the Oxford Exxon in Mississippi. And we're coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900, Highway 25 South there in Amory. Corey wants to be your car guy, wants to be your truck guy, and he will take care of you, including discounts to podcast listeners you just tell them you heard about them on the podcast and hey you get a discount when you sign those papers for your new clark ford and zach in a weird way is coming to you from uh, the raptors music and food hotline raptors on the water is open sardis marina come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in north mississippi you get shrimp and mississippi catfish platters gourmet burgers louisiana style po'boys served on leidenheimer french bread wednesday thursday 3 30 to 10 Friday to Sunday, 11 to 10, newly expanded picnic-style dining areas, appetizers including Zydeco shrimp and crawfish egg rolls, and more to go and curbside pickup available, 662-712-6162. So I was off the internet a little while this morning, Zach, and you gave me uh, maybe the football coach quote of all football coach quotes as we uh, are starting the day. Yeah, it's the ultimate, um, you know, as people like to say, football guy. Uh, just, just the ultimate, just real tough guy. Rub some dirt on it. Quote here. Um, it, we'll, we'll, I'll say it in real time and let, and I'll give everybody a chance. I'll give everybody a couple seconds to in pick their the car coach to, to guess. Yeah. Who okay. It is. All right. So, quote: COVID is part of our society. It wasn't caused by football or caused by sports. There's no expert view right now that I'm aware of that sports is going to make that worse. End quote. You said there are two possibilities. I immediately would have gotten the correct answer because I think he goes even beyond the other option here. Um, <laughs> just my opinion. Yeah. So by now, everybody has had a chance to mull over their options and guess in their car and their headphones, wherever you may be listening to the show. So I told, so I told Chase, I said, Jim Harbaugh or Dabo Sweeney are the first two names that came to mind. Um, but if you guessed the University of Michigan Wolverines head coach Jim Harbaugh, then you are correct. That is what he said. Uh, this is Austin Meek, who covers Michigan for The Athletic, tweeted this earlier. Dude, I think I would have seriously heard that quote in his voice. I mean, that sounds so like Harbaugh that I just, I go, yeah, of course. Like, that's, that's. Yeah. You could, you could see him uh, saying that while, like, bellied up at the bar at Applebee's eating a steak with ketchup. Like a well-done sirloin with ketchup. That's documented, right? He does the ketchup thing. Isn't that right? 
I think so. Yeah, I think so too. For some reason that that that, that sticks if out. If not, I guarantee you he does. Okay, fair enough. Um content at rebelgrove.com. Zach's got some recruiting stuff. Uh we uh, had some, uh, Ole Miss offered a basketball kid a couple days ago. Um I'd already I sent it to him after he'd already actually posted it on the site, so he was well ahead of me. But also um I talked to Derek Diamond yesterday, Ole Miss's number three starter heading into next season. Ole Miss's starter this season before it got canceled. He pitched for the first time since March 8th. He played against the uh, the Green Bay Booyah in, uh, in Wisconsin. He's part of the Northwoods League. He was supposed to go to California and just hit this summer, but once the season got cut short, he only threw 20.2 innings during the season. They got him in the Northwoods League. The Northwoods is operating pretty much normally. They've got host families. They've got fans in the stands. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty close to what typically would be going on, which is a surprise because a lot of the major – leagues are uh, are shut down for the summer i think the coastal plain league is still going as well in the carolina area but um nonetheless those are the two he said that he's trying to get as many innings as he can and he is also um working on a few things he was already working on mike moved him to the right side of the rubber prior to last season so he's uh, still trying to get comfortable with that he said with the slider especially those 17 inches make a pretty good bit of difference as far as where that thing breaks where you need to start it and he's trying to get a little better with his four-seam fastball. So that's what Derek Diamond is working on. They're also going to let him hit a little bit. Um, he acknowledged that while that remains a goal, he also understands it's probably a bit of a pipe dream since uh, the three guys who are the most likely two-way guys, maybe other than Trey LaFleur, are the entire starting rotation. And Mike is not going to let his entire starting rotation also swing the bat. He's just not. So uh, he's all he's seeing is spra- he's seeing sprained ankles around first base and busted up fingers uh, at the plate is what Mike is seeing. Because the last thing they need next year is you get in the middle of the stretch run and Gunnar Hoagland is out for two weeks because somebody hit him in the hand with a ball. Is the chances of turning an ankle rounding first, legging out a double, the same as uh, getting in an accident in your car chase? It is just an extra risk, Zach, is what it is. It, it is one okay. thing you can check off that you would not be doing otherwise. That is the answer. He's yeah, let pitchers pinch run a little bit. I mean, Bobby Wall had the winning run against Florida yeah. that year. Um, Aaron Greenwood scored a run, I think, in Omaha as a pinch runner. It was the, the Gatlin walk-off. Was it the Gatlin walk-off? Yeah, because I have that image of him scoring standing up and then doing because his arms were so long and he just looked like a weirdo clapping as he was running. Okay. I, I, Green, Greenwood was a large dude. Aaron Greenwood's one of the most underrated guys um, that has come through. I mean, a Juco kid, so he didn't get like kind of the press coming in. He wasn't highly recruited. Um, Mississippi kid originally. I think he played Juco ball in Louisiana. And, uh, I mean, just a, just a stud that season to kind of give them some bullpen depth because that was the biggest difference is – they didn't have to worry about the one arm short on that team in 14 because um, you had Laxer and Weathersby and Greenwood and Massey and just dudes. I mean, there was a lot There was a lot there from a bullpen standpoint. He was, he was the perfect bridge guy because, I mean, obviously this is like the perfect way you draw it up, that, that type of arm, because he could come in and go max effort and give you one, but then he could also, he had the stamina to give you three if you needed it. I mean, because he, he was just a horse. It's why Mike hates naming closers because, I mean, and especially in today's college baseball, you don't have the one-inning inning eater just closer anymore. I mean, it's that dude who can come in in the seventh and finish the game. I mean, they had that with Weathersby and Greenwood and a lot of guys back then. And then Masty was kind of that perfect fourth starter, change of pace, left-hander. Um, I think he I think he even maybe, maybe beat Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament that year, if I have that right. I don't know. It's all running together. It's been it's been a while. Massey? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, the day game. I do remember that. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he uh, 
can't remember how long he went, but it was kind of one of those where Mike was just throwing out a guy. And then uh, I think he probably went like five or six where it was like, you know, after the third inning, he was like, all right, we'll just keep him out there. Yeah, Hoover is like that for some dudes. Justin Cryer had a game like that one time because it's such a deep ballpark. If you can throw some fly balls, you can really eat innings quickly and uh, and get out of there. You're just as long as you keep the ball somewhat uh, where you can get some pop ups. It's a it's it's a good day at the park for you. So I told you uh, a couple days ago. I said let's pick a topic. Let's see uh, what we come up with, and we will uh, we'll, we'll go in, we'll we'll deep dive a little bit. I know people when I first play this are gonna try to slip their wrist, but hang with me. I've got some other points beyond what uh, the obvious one is. But I am uh, I am looking back. I am going back eleven years at this point, almost well one month past the eleven year anniversary of when this thing ended. But uh, from a season standpoint, here is what everyone will remember. Let's get the run because Jake really has done everything he could considering the situation. Matt Smith's first pitch. Swung on, fly ball, left field. Go, 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 go! Matt Smith has won it with a walk-off home run. Holy mackerel, four to three Rebels. The coaches are trying to get the players back. Let him cross the plate first, and the Rebels are one game away. Yeah, baby! Smith steps on a plate, and he is being mobbed. The 2009 Ole Miss Baseball Rebels, uh, that was game one of the Super Regional against Virginia. Matt Smith hitting uh, – your dog's even pissed off at me at this point. Yeah. Um, is uh, Matt Smith hits the walk-off in the 12th inning of game one of the Super Regional. As everybody's aware, Ole Miss uh, has to uh, has to win another one. They lose game two and three against Virginia. But this isn't necessarily about that. I've got, I've got a couple thoughts on that. But for the most part, this is about that season because I told Zach a minute ago – I think it was uh, maybe an uh, it was an unlucky ending. You've got Scott Biddle's injury in here that maybe was the unluckiest thing, if you can call an injury that we all were sort of expecting because of some past years unlucky. The thing that probably changed a year more than any of Mike's years because it full health, I do believe that is the best Ole Miss baseball team that Mike Bianco has had. I think it's potentially the best Ole Miss baseball team in program history, and I think that if they get to the College World Series healthy, they win a national title. So that is my, my reasoning for that. I know some people think 14, some people think 2005. I know there's some arguments for 2018 if they don't have that ridiculous day against Tennessee Tech, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of get into it as we go. But my money is on 2009 with all healthy. Zach, where do you kind of fall on that? So here's an interesting uh, caveat wrench, whatever you want to th- call it, throwing in, throwing uh, this in here. I tend to lean uh, 2018. I think that was easily the best hitting team that Mike Bianco's had. Okay. But the but the talent on the mound in 2009 really, really, really makes it hard. Because um, here, I'll run, I'll run you through it here. So you had Biddle taken in the fourth round, Nathan Baker in the fifth, Buckvich was in the 18th, Irwin in the 21st, Aaron Barrett, 27th and that's all the pitchers well but um, you're forgetting the next year there's one guy named Drew Pomeranz that went fifth overall well right yeah so yeah <laughs> these were the guys that yeah drafted on that team and that, that didn't yeah. count Jake Morgan who potentially had one of the best closer seasons in, in 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 school history at that point yeah a guy that probably um if you know name and likeness was a thing back then could have branded the uh two plugs in the nose um that, we'll, we'll get to that um now here's now here's my one thing i'll throw out there sure the 14 team i think is a landslide in terms of best ever if mike bianco and Ole miss find a way to get hunter renfro on that team 
while I agree, it was just never really going to happen. Uh, it's one of those deals where I don't blame Mike for Renfro because nobody offered him. I mean, he ends up coming in as a walk-on or whatever. So it's, it's one of those, it's kind of like Jannard Avery in a weird way, except not as bad because, was, you know right. what I mean? Like, it I wasn't like, they, hey, they chose not to take him. Well, nobody took him. I think State offered him really, really late. Yeah, maybe 25% get him on campus. But I had I have it pretty well sourced from a couple people, and then I've talked to some people that he really wanted to play at Ole Miss. He would have helped. Um, but man, I mean, I, yeah, obviously it's a hindsight thing now because man, he was good. The fourteen team, I can make that argument all day, and I have no problem with it. Um, I just, from a pitching standpoint, I'm having a hard time getting beyond Pomeranz, Irwin, and Biddle for a rotation if everybody's healthy. I just, I think when you're talking about the best pitcher in program history, and then Biddle, who, you know, the year before has, I think he sets the NCAA record for most strikeouts, or, or sorry, he led the NCAA in most strikeouts per nine innings um, at that point, and Philip Irwin, just a really good college pitcher. And like I said, not, not to count some arm talent like Nathan Baker that I, I think Mike mismanaged. I think looking back, Mike did not manage Nathan well over the course of his career, but from a sheer talent standpoint, it was there. But this is a year that's always going to stick, and not just because of Evan Button. There's several reasons. So, this it's the one Ole Miss tied for the SEC title. They tied LSU at twenty and ten. They went eight and two in SEC series that season, only losing to LSU and South Carolina two out of three. They were never swept. Uh, I think they won forty four games um, total, forty four and twenty. We got it right here. But you look back on this, kind of start from the beginning. So they lose the two out of three against Texas in two thousand five. They lose to Miami in two thousand six. And then they lose two straight to Arizona State in 2007. But I, I think the angst really started after that 2009 season. I don't recall the, hey, Mike can't get it done, the O for Omaha, all that kind of stuff necessarily happening before 2009. I felt like Ole Miss was still new money in a way with baseball on getting the program back from more than they had struggled for years. Everybody was still pretty excited. And everybody was kind of reeling more from that 2008 year because they go to three straight Super Regionals. And in 2008, they brought a lot of guys back. They had a pitching staff that still featured Lance Lynn in his final season before he left. And they got to number two in the country during the non-conference season. It looked like they were going to be rolling. They looked like a, a team that should absolutely compete for Omaha. And they were, frankly, middle midgets. They struggled for a good bit of SEC play. They had to win two games and Hoover to even make the NCAA tournament. They end up a three-seed in the Coral Gables Regional against the number one overall seed, Miami. And it just didn't go well. They, they, they never, after that early run in the non-league, non looked like a contender, looked like a team that had a lot of confidence. And frankly, they just kind of got overwhelmed in a lot of ways. Mike brings in Brian Kane in the, in the offseason after that, first time they'd used a peak performance coach, sports, sports psychologist, whatever you want to call him. He comes in for 2009. They put an emphasis on this. They've, they've tried to do a lot of different things as they, as they head into that season. They get a little bit of offseason adversity, even though it was just for one weekend. Pomeranz gets a DUI in the offseason. Tim Ferguson gets a DUI in the offseason. They're both suspended for the opening weekend of play. Ole Miss is down in South Alabama, and they lose two out of three. They beat Liberty 6-5 to five in the opener, and then they lose back-to-back -to, -back to Mercer in South Alabama um, after that in, in, in week one. Can you give me Ole Miss's starting rotation in week one of the 2009 season with Pomeranz on the shelf? I'll give you a lot of Rebel Grove bucks if you can get that one pulled out. Oh, Don't look at the starting, right. Yeah, starting, starting rotation. rotation. Who started the three games in Mobile that weekend? Brett Buckvich. Eh. What? Nope. 
Was it uh <laughs> Good God. Um Aaron Barrett? Uh the opener, Liberty. Yep. Okay. Um I'm just looking at the roster here. Okay. Which is a little bit of a cheat, but I'll let it go. Okay. Sorry. It's fine. No, well, you're I, good. Had, I had it I had it pulled up already. Okay. You're fine. Um shit. Rory McKean? Nope. Uh, Wade I, Broyles. I think I'm right here. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Uh, no. That is incorrect. Okay. I was going to guess Matt Tracy, but he doesn't have a game started nope. on here, so mm-hmm. it wasn't him. Nope. Was Baker one of them? Nope. What was he doing? Chris Corrigan? Saturday starter. Mercer. Correct. He was drafted, by the uh, way. He, yeah, doghouse quickly. Totally, he was terrible. Totally forgot who he was until I looked at Baseball Cube. Um, Kyle Barbeck. That is correct. South Alabama. Okay, so that that was the three. Yeah, Barrett, Corrigan, Barbeck. No Baker, no <laughs> Irwin, no Pomeranz. Yeah, wow. I think That's... I'm right. I'll, I'll check it and somebody can call me out, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. I mean, if I'm wrong, okay, whatever. But. Let me, okay. I pulled up the schedule earlier. Oh, wait. I just pulled up the schedule on the on the official website, and it only pulls up the Yeah, place. the 2009 one's all messed up. I've got the, uh, I've got the media guide in front of me is why I have this. Okay. I think Baseball Reference does the whole schedule. I mean, yeah, again, you can look that up. So... That's still a ridiculous. It's a weird opening to the year because then they beat Central Arkansas a couple games and then they play TCU only once. I think that's when maybe an ice storm came through or there was a rain out or something, and they only played TCU once on a weekend. They lost nineteen to thirteen, so they're sitting there pretty mediocre. And then they go on a run. They win like ten in a row. They start league play. They beat Vanderbilt two out of three. They beat Alabama two out of three. They lose to LSU because at that point it was in Baton Rouge and Ole Miss loses to LSU two out of three in Baton Rouge. They don't get swept, but they always lose two out of three. So they're sitting there really good. They uh they, they sweep Kentucky. They uh, lose to South Carolina, but I mean back then no shame in that whatsoever. And uh you know that was the game. I remember two, the the Sunday game in South Carolina was when it really solidified. I thought, hey, there's something going on here because Biddle throws a gym. They beat South Carolina six to one to salvage one of the games in the series to kind of keep everything from being a throw up instead of a hiccup. And um. He was just dominant. I mean, that was that that was that South Carolina team with Jackie Bradley Jr. and all those guys. I mean, they're a, they're a College World Series contender, and Biddle just stymied them. And at that point, you're going, okay, there's really something going on here. Ole Miss wins the Mayor's Trophy or Governor's Cup or whatever. They go to Gainesville. They beat Florida two out of three, and then while they're rolling, they win the game six to one. But Biddle comes out late in the start against Georgia the next week. It might have even been like double-decker weekend or it was the Grove Bowl or something. I remember the stands being packed. And Ole Miss wins. They take the series. But immediately it was, all right, what's going on? Because you have to back up a little bit. Biddle, two years before this, I think, maybe the year before, maybe two years before, was drafted by the Yankees. And they said that something was going on in his shoulder. They didn't like something with an MRI. They didn't like something going on from a structural standpoint. He was fine in 2008 and then 2009. It was called a, a capsule injury is what Mike kept calling it. And the thing to remember, as I kind of go through this a little bit, is that Mike was day-to-day with Biddle for weeks. It was never, hey, he's out for the year. I mean, we 
we thought that was a possibility, but nobody ever said it. And every single week, it was kind of like, hey, if they can get through these next three or four games, if they can get through these next three or four games, if they can get through these next three or four games, maybe there's a chance. So even as Ole Miss is going into the regional and in the super regional, it's, well, maybe Biddle's back for that next week. And it, while it was never true, it put this weird sense of hope in everybody. I think it almost kind of kept the team together a little bit. I think it helped them out in some ways mentally. Um, now, looking back, he was not going to pitch again. But it is what it is. Um, so, they beat Georgia. They sweep Auburn. They, uh, I'm sorry, they went 7-3. and three, lost to Mississippi State. I, I, I forgot that series. But nonetheless. And they go to Arkansas, and they sweep Arkansas to get a share of the title. Oh, LSU maybe loses one to Alabama, if I remember correctly. So, Ole Miss ties for the SEC Championship at 20-10. and 10. They... Um, celebrate there on the field in Fayetteville. And it's kind of an interesting side note. They had done the same thing to win the West in 2005. They had to go to Arkansas and sweep, and they did that on the last the last uh, weekend of the regular season in 2005 as well. And in 2007, they took two out of three from Arkansas, but Arkansas did win one to beat Ole Miss for the West in 07. So the, the West was in some semblance decided in Fayetteville three out of five years there between Ole Miss and, and, and Arkansas. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage, located in Oxford, Memphis, Seto County, and Chattanooga, one of the oldest mortgage companies in the southeast. All underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so your local underwriting understands your market, leader in condo financing, the float-down option, and much more. You can find Jason at 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Podcast also brought to you by Tyson Drugs and G&M Pharmacy. Tyson's utilizing a walk-up window. And G&M is offering curbside service available there in Oxford. Both stores are open for regular business hours. And they're still dedicated to free local delivery and same-day delivery as well. To find out more, you can give them a call. 662-236-2222. G&M right there on South Lamar in Oxford. And then also... If you're injured, not sure where to go, no matter where you are, Special Orthopedic Group has you covered with three convenient locations in Tupelo, Oxford, New Albany. No referral is needed to schedule an appointment with one of SOG's fellowship-trained subspecialized surgeons at any one of the three locations. 24-hour access to scheduling. SOG makes it easy to accommodate you. Call 767-4200 or request an appointment on their website at www.sogms.com. Special Orthopedic Group. Choose a specialist. Choose SOG. How... How how insane is that with how good Arkansas has been, how dominant Dave Van Horn has been there with, and I'm looking at it right now, they have um, one regular season title, but they've won the West five times under him. And one, one of those wins was that weird 2011 where they won the West at 14 and 15 or 14 and 16. Uh, they went 15 and 15. So they did go West. 15 and 15. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, they've been to, at Arkansas, one, two, three, four, five, six, six times to Omaha. And for whatever reason, Ole Miss not only, for the most part, dominates the Razorbacks, but basically go into bomb. Outside of that super and dominate. I think say they have they have more wins at bomb over whatever period you want to take than any other SEC school. I almost guarantee it. There's no way because I mean Arkansas wins their freaking home games. Yeah, it's it's the wildest thing. That's why like last year when people kept asking, you know, what do you think? And I was like, you know, I know it's the postseason, but who has a better shot to beat them at bomb? Twice. I mean, it's Ole Miss. Like, well, the they only had team the they had the previous two series wins against Arkansas at bomb. But Arkansas had beaten everybody else they'd played at home in the series except for Ole Miss. However long it took for it to be twice before that. Mm-hmm. 
So three yeah. years, I guess. Whatever we, that meant. We talked, we talked on our show with Ben McDonald, and he said the same thing. He was like, I don't know what it is, but he was like, Mike Bianco has figured out a way to beat Dave Van Horn at home, and nobody else has figured it out yet. So yeah. it's mind-blowing. So Ole Miss, they're right there at 40 wins, whatever it is. They head into the SEC tournament. They lose two in a row, and I do think that probably kept them from a national seed because they were not a national seed that year. Um had they won the regional and everything else went chalk, they would have gone to UC Irvine and played and played UC Irvine in the super regional. Um, so that was that was that. But because I th- I think actually Virginia was the two, I guess. But Virginia opened their postseason with Steven Strasburg. San Diego State was the other team in that okay. regional. So it was Irvine, San Diego State, and and Virginia out there in, yeah. uh, in in Irvine. So anyway, Ole Miss gets to the regional. They think they've got a great draw because you've got Monmouth as the four. Okay, whatever. And then it's Missouri and Western Kentucky, and you know Western Kentucky's going to hit. It's a, uh, it's uh, Rob Reinstettles. Uh, no, he was at South Al. Never mind. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm wrong, wrong, wrong year with wrong red and white. So anyway, they've got Chad Kruger from Oxford. They've got Wade Gaynor. They can hit, but you're going okay, fine. They don't have any pitching. It's no big deal. They also had Taylor Hightower's brother was one of the best players on that team. So he had a brother thing on that one, but. Ole Miss beats Monmouth. They probably, I mean, they left Drew in because you're not thinking Drew's going to throw again. So whatever, he throws like 105 pitches, 109 pitches, whatever it was. They beat Monmouth eight to one. And what's interesting a little bit is that second game. So Western Kentucky beats Missouri. Missouri, I think, had held Kyle Gibson if I remember this correctly, and lost. So then they get put in the position: do you hold him again? Do you pitch him? What do you do from that standpoint? And I think they might have even held him again. I, I don't remember what I remember about that from Missouri was there was this TV reporter who, during the press conference, <laughs> she asked Tim Jamison, she goes, hey, coach, just uh, j- just kind of got a question here. It seems like your team is better when Kyle Gibson pitches. And Jamison yeah. just looked at her like, well, uh, reason for that. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a keen observation there on your part, uh, whatever. But, yeah, she like Yankees, raised her hand. Yankees like, fans, you seem more successful when Mariano Rivera closes games out. Yeah, no, it was the dangest thing. I was just like, okay, great. So, anyway, Ole Miss plays Western Kentucky, and they win. They win. They kind of dominate the game. They're up 7-2 to there at one point. Maybe they win 7-4. to four. I don't even remember the final. It's right here in front of me. 7-4. to four. They were up 7-2 to two at one point, and – Everything seemed fine. You go, okay, Western Kentucky's a mid-major. They're going to run out of pitching. You'll play them again the next day if they beat Missouri, but whatever. And they show back up. And Ole Miss, I think this is, in a way, one of the key things in a a couple different areas. Ole Miss blew a huge lead. Ole Miss had a six-run lead in the eighth inning against Western Kentucky in a game that would have – you win it, you never even get to that next Pomeranz game. Pomeranz gets another day off. He doesn't have to throw all those pitches. You can reset things better for the next week for for the games that you're playing against Virginia. But even beyond that, so – we all talk about the Evan Button throw, and I, I like Evan a lot. I mean, I, I can't believe how haunted he probably is to this day about it. Um, I know David Collier did that documentary several years ago on it where Evan talked about it and said, you know, you just made a baseball play, and it is what it is. But there's some creepy foreshadowing here because Mike Mike did two platoons over the course of that season. He played Jeremy Travis and David Phillips in a corner outfield spot pretty much throughout the year. And then he played Tim Ferguson and Evan Button kind of in a platoon situation uh, at second base. And against LSU on Sunday, Biddle was pitching, throwing a gym. They were almost was maybe at one to nothing at the time. And Ferguson dropped a ball 
at second base, and it kind of led to a little bit of a rally, or it was a, it was a big play in the game, and LSU ends up winning the game. And it seemed like at that point, Mike started doing some defensive replacement a little bit, playing button a little more late in games. And this is creepy. So I went back and I found <coughs> – sorry. I went back and found the articles from Western Kentucky Ole Miss when Western Kentucky forced that, that, that last game. Neil wrote this. I remember it kind of, but um, I did not recall it being this creepy. So this is in the Pomeranz game that we'll get to in a second. Uh Drew probably threw a no hitter, if you will. Um, he threw a two hitter, gave up one run. It was there was there was unearned, but there was a cue shot that was ruled a hit instead of an error on Matt Smith, and then you had kind of a bobble and a deal as well. So um, let me find it. Here we go. Okay, sorry. Let me find it. Against Western Kentucky. Here's what here's what Neil wrote. Button. Let me find it. Sorry. Um, the ball ricocheted off Pomeranz and deflected straight to UM second baseman Evan Button, who couldn't get the handle and let the ball pop in the air. Kreger saw the ball pop up and ran through the stop sign at third. Button's throw was short and right, and the w- Western Kentucky outfielder slid in to tie the game. Short and right. A week later, Neil riding again. Button short on the throw to Matt Smith, bouncing it to, in front of, and to the right of the Rebels' first baseman. So you had in, in, basically the same throw within a week of one another the exact same way. And, and look, this is not against Evan, but I think if Tim catches that ball weeks earlier against LSU, it's very possible that it, Evan's not even playing second base at that time of the game. Just my opinion. I've never asked Mike, but that's my opinion. So yeah. Ole Miss blows a six-run lead. Jake Morgan's had to pitch more than he was supposed to pitch. He gets he, he I think he he, uh, he faces six batters in that game. He uh, allows all six to either get hits or score or something. Western Kentucky comes back. They they steamroll Ole Miss, get the win, and come behind and, and come from behind fashion, uh, ten to nine, and then setting up this Monday. And I remember at the time everybody said, "Okay, Drew's going to start." Drew had walked up to Mike the night that Ole Miss was trying to close out the regional and told him, hey, I can give you an inning. I can probably give you an inning tonight if you need to. And the next night, or that, that night after the loss, he goes up to Drew and he goes, hey, it's your ball tomorrow. I don't know how many you can give me, but just get through the first, get them out in the first, and we'll go from there. He comes out in the first, and it looks like he hasn't thrown in two weeks. I mean, fastballs into the mid-90s. It's where it's supposed to be with Drew. I mean, he's, he, he's dealing – and then at some point, you kind of look up and you go, okay, well, maybe he can give you three. Maybe he can give you four. And he gets to the fifth, still got a no-hitter. Game's still scoreless, too. That's what kind of keeps kid forgetting here is the kid from, I think it was the Ridings from, from Western Kentucky. Uh, he keeps old Miss hitless, or sorry, runless through the sixth, or into the sixth. Drew gets into the sixth as well. He's still dealing, still dealing, still, still dealing. Ole Miss finally breaks through. They get the lead in the sixth inning. And... I've covered a lot of baseball games there. Covered a lot of postseason games there, and even when there were you know, smaller crowd or bigger crowds than than that current night, there was an energy shift in a positive way in about the seventh inning that is frankly hard to describe. Where Drew wasn't falling off; he was still striking out guys, striking out guys, striking out guys. I think he even struck out two of the three batters he faced in the ninth inning. He ends up 116 pitches. He strikes out 16 on the. Uh, on the night, like I said, probably should have been a no-hitter if the defense had played a little better. Would have gone down as m- at least arguably the top pitch game in at least SEC baseball postseason history and maybe nationally 
and probably still was anyway. The dude throws 105 pitches on Friday. He throws 116 a couple days later there um, on two days rest against Western Kentucky. And I thought that cemented everything that was to come for him the next year. You know, he's, he's the best pitcher in the country in 2010. Um, he, he falls one vote short of winning the Golden the, the golden Spikes the next year to Bryce Harper um, in, in, in 2010. And, I mean, again, you can – you can make the debate that a JUCO kid shouldn't win the Golden Spikes, but it is Bryce Harper, so I'm not really going to jump on that that grenade today um, as I'm as I'm going down that route. Yeah. But the day before, we would have been we would have been deprived of Drew's brilliance. But the day before, if you win that game, Drew can throw game one against Virginia, and then Philip Irwin can go throw game two, and then you figure out what you want to do in game three, whether it's Nathan or whatever whatever it is that you are you're doing at that point. It's probably Nathan. I thought that the when you go back and look, the collapse on that Sunday changed so many things because let's be honest, Drew probably doesn't need a bullpen against Virginia if if you have him on the correct rest. Everybody's safe for Phil Irwin's game on Saturday. Phil beat Virginia anyway in game one from a you know, I mean I know Matt hit the extra inning home run, but Phil kept him in it. He threw by far well enough to win. And then the other thing from Mike, from a management standpoint, the, the, the two decisions, or three decisions, against Virginia that were interesting to me, two for him, one for Brian O'Connor, is O'Connor, knowing that he has no tomorrow, he had to win game two, he pitched Andrew Carraway. He threw his game three starter in relief in game two. He came in in the sixth. He finished the rest of that game. Something that Mike probably is more willing to do now, but was not as willing to do in 2009. He was much more kind of system by the book in 2009 than he would be now. So Connor makes that move, says, hey, we'll figure out tomorrow if we get there. we got to win this one. And then I thought, even though he pitched well enough to win and Ole Miss had a lead in the eighth inning, I thought giving Drew one more day of rest would have been a big deal. I thought had you held him for game three, it does two things. A, you're going to have a more rested. You're by far going to have the best pitcher available for either team in game three and a must win. Drew's got the mentality to handle that without any issue whatsoever. And I think it loosens your team up for game two at the same time because they go, hey, we're good here. Drew's still waiting tomorrow. Let's just go play. Because at that point, there was a tendency for for things to be managed tight, for things to be played tight. I think that would have changed a ton of different things. And then the other one is after Goforth gets the ground ball, and the fans, I remember this, that ground ball to Button, the fans started cheering as soon as he grabbed it. I mean, I can remember this, like, roar as soon as he touches the ball, and then he throws it, and it's just this exhale in the air coming out of the entire place. Just, and it's all gone. And I thought, okay, go forth, walks the next guy, and you go, okay, Mike, you got to go talk to him. He's a freshman at this point. You're, I mean, the, the, the fans had to feel like they're down all over him. you got to go calm him down. you got to kind of kill the momentum. Kind of like in basketball, it's time to call a timeout a little bit here. Didn't do that. There's a single. They end up tying the game. They end up going ahead. Ole Miss actually gets the bases loaded with one out in the ninth, but can't score and, and lose to force a, a game three that was an obituary. I mean, they were never in it. I think they lost four to one or five to one, something like that. Five to two. Um... But I thought those were the biggest mistakes. And between the Biddle injury, some platoon that goes wrong, and probably even mismanaging Drew a little bit as much as and as great as that night was, I think those are the instances where they did have some coin flips to get to a place where they at least compete for a national title. Because if Ole Miss gets to the, gets to the College World Series, as much as any opening night I can remember from a pitching standpoint of, wow, this is coming, they would have played LSU, and it would have been Pomeranz, Anthony Renato on opening night. In Omaha, um, that's what you would have had in 2009 had they had they won that. So just overall, 
I think it's the best team potentially because of the pitching staff. I think that between the middle injury and some other things, they got very unlucky. And then it's going to be the it's going to be the team that's remembered because they went they go twenty and ten, they win the SEC. But no matter what happens, I mean, it's kind of like a Bartman thing in a way. And Neil kind of wrote that he. I mean, you're going you're going to know this because of the Cubs thing. And he's going to take that angle, but. Even though they've gotten Omaha since then, and even no matter what they do success-wise, it's going to be that season that always lingers because of the what-ifs. Um, probably even more so than in 2005, simply because Texas did go win the national title. You know, had Texas flamed out, you go, hey, we had whatever. But I think in 05, you can at least mentally tell yourself, well, maybe the best team won. It was the two best teams in the country, but maybe the best team won. In 2009, I think there there's always going to be the unanswered questions. And it's, it's spoiling a year that – was maybe one of Mike's top three coaching jobs in the regular season, the way he platooned guys, the way he kind of got the team back from a confidence standpoint after that 2008 that was an abomination. And just when you've got some 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 guys and some 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 years that they had there between the success of, of Philip Irwin and Drew having really kind of the breakout. Because he started the year kind of slow and he was fine, but he wasn't where he was in the end. He wasn't where he ended up in 2010. So, yeah, just a little run through there of 2009. But I do I, – I think – I think looking back, if you had, hey, one game to do over, one play to do over, whatever, I would be curious to know, and maybe Biddle's injury keeps him from doing this, I wonder if Mike would pick the eighth inning of 2009 or if he would pick that 2018 team to get out of the game against Tennessee Tech. Yeah. It's one or the other. I, Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I, I guess um, if you can say Stephen Head hit a ball over the wall in 05, okay, you can throw that in there. But from a mistake where they did something incorrectly standpoint, or at least where they definitely should have won, it's 09 or 18, and I would be curious. I might ask Mike that one day because I don't know what he – he might punch me, but he might give me an answer. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was I was in right field. I was, I was in undergrad during this game, and I remember – sitting there up against the railing as soon as the ground ball was hit i immediately turned to the cooler to grab another beer i was like all right out of it good um <laughs> and then i honestly to this day i think man i wish i would have just stayed down in the cooler and just you know either poured the beer there or you know turned around but i grabbed the beer and got turned around in time to see it and is someone like you've played, you grew up playing baseball your whole life. I did the same thing. Those types of plays are just so routine and it's something that you've done every single day. You've done it your whole life. And it's such a, you watch it and it's just slow motion where you're just, when you've made that throw where you throw it. And as soon as it leaves your hands, you're just like, Oh shit, it's not even close. And it was such a painful thing to see live. Because like, you know Evan is going, oh, God, please bail me out. Matt, just please yeah, please stop yeah. the ball. Just catch it. Just please, God, do this. I mean, I, and, looking you know, back, that team didn't hit as well as I kind of thought they would. Is the only thing I will say. They pitched their tail off. But that was a team that 358 for Ferguson. But, again, he, only, he, started, he played in 52 games, but only started 33 because he was in a platoon. Jordan Henry, 343. Zach Miller, 341. Henson, 338. Matt Smith, 336. Here's the interesting thing. Because they were still using the old bats. Uh, this was not the BB Core era yet. Because I, I would have been amazed to see Drew pitch against BB Core. Um, so they were not in the BB Core era. From a home run standpoint, they were not hitting the ball out of the yard. 8, 8, 8, 7, 7, 5. Now they were consistent. And he was up and down the lineup. But they had nobody in double digits from a home run standpoint that year. I did not yeah, recall that. 
I was going to say, not a ton of power, but um, still, I mean, hit 310 as a, as, a, as a ball club. That's not really crushing it, but that's still really good. Uh, I think that's close to the 18 team in terms of um, Just the up balance. and down lineup, yeah. Right, yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned you know, the Cubs and Bartman because I was looking it up because I remember there was a ton of stuff that had to happen for it to still crumble. But, yeah, I mean, even though – Evan Button makes the error, they lose. There was still a game three. Well, the Cubs still, still had a game seven, but yeah. yeah. So here's here's what happened. So after everything, which I still think it was fan interference, and I should have been out. But so Castillo ended up drawing a walk, on a, and, and ball four was a wild pitch. And then you had Pudge in an 0-2 count hit a single. Driving in the first run, so it's 3-1. Miguel Cabrera hit a ground ball to Alex Gonzalez, who misfielded the ball. Had he made the play, they're either ending the inning with a routine double play, um, and they're still up 3-1. You had that. You had Derek Lee then doubled. Um, Kyle Farnsworth intentionally walked Mike Lowell, gave up a sack fly to Jeff Conine. Um, Then there was a basis-clearing double from Mike Mordecai, broke the game open. At this point... Wheels are falling off. The next night, the Cubs are throwing Kerry Wood, and they have a 5-3 lead, and they end up losing 9-6, and uh, the Marlins win the pennant. So all of that gets forgotten. I th- and oh, it's, look, it's know, very kind of, similar. I mean, it's, it's yeah. almost kind of eerie the way one thing changed everything. But I just – it's the only time in the whole year where I thought they just got – panicked and they did not execute i mean once that happened the crowd went out of it but they kind of went out of it too i mean because you're talking Mm -hmm. about again you get bases loaded in the ninth you just score a run you kind of extend it you're going to be fine you were the best team because here's the thing too virginia had tons of scar tissue they were kind of old miss as well they could not get over the hump they had not been to the college world series in either however long or ever whatever I mean, that was sort of their liftoff point leading to their more their more appearances and their College World Series win in 2015. They came into Oxford in the same boat going, God, well, at least one of us is going to get there because we've struggled with it to, this, to such an extent. So, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, Ole Miss well, went I up think- even one to nothing. I'm looking at it here. Ole Miss went up one to nothing in game three. Um, and then Virginia scored one in the fourth, three in the fifth, and then one in the eighth. To uh, to win, it was five to one. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it was the extreme high of game one, and then the Evan Button error was just like such an extreme low that the team just couldn't recover. Because, I mean, this is pre-smartphone era. I guess iPhones were kind of a thing, but I didn't have one. And after game one, my dad and I went to Abner's, and my dad starts calling, um, hotels in to- Omaha. Yeah, yeah. Because we were—I mean, we were gonna go, and so it's just. Yeah, I was—I was with a media member that was doing the same thing as soon as game one ended. Yeah, so I guess people are now gonna blame me and my my father that we jinxed it, but yeah, it was because it was like a—I mean, just think about that, Chase. As a college student, you're you're in—I was in summer school at the time, but you know how summer school is. It's it's fun. It's a it's party, but it was just like all right. Win game one, walk off fashion, get game two, and then it's, you know, going out to to finally get to go to Omaha for a week and uh, 
unfortunately, it didn't happen. Well, I mean, it's where they'll, I mean, I, I started covering the team a little bit in 2006, and then I've been full time since 2007. The last time where I left the stadium just with an ultimate fan gut punch can't function was Game Three of the Texas Super Regional in 2005, where it was just like, okay, I'm 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 dead. Like that was that was just rip my heart out, take it, I'm done right there. It's it's all complete. You know, Ole Miss also had to deal with like all the local crap too because in 2009, Southern Miss gets there. I think they went to Gainesville and won a Super Regional against Florida to advance to the College World Series. So they're there. In 2007, State and Louisville are both there before Ole Miss even plays a game. State beat Clemson two games straight, and then Louisville beat somebody in Dan's first year to get there as well. So yeah, you know, like they're they're dealing with all that crap as well. And then once 09 happened, that was where it really took off for the the O for Omaha and the pressure linked up on Mike so much harder because they they were never a threat even though they were a two seed in 2010 2011 frankly they were kind of bad and then uh you know they had the struggles in 12 and 13 when Mike wasn't renewed after either uh either season so anyway but that is your 2009 Ole Miss baseball season 44 and 20 but a super regional loss that I think clouds over a really good regular season job by Mike. You've got a roster that uh, had some bad luck along the way and probably uh, probably cost them as well. Because, I mean, you know, Scott Biddle's throwing game three. You don't know what that would have looked like against uh, against the Cavaliers. So you mentioned the uh, the Golden Eagles. Yep. Which, uh, which shout out to uh, – he's probably not listening to this, but my boy Taylor Walker was the third baseman uh, for Southern Miss. Good, good, friend of, uh, good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Can you guess their conference record that year? Uh, I'm going to say, did they win the conference tournament? Is that how they got in? Did they need an auto uh, bid? So they don't have year by year for Southern Miss on Wikipedia, but okay. maybe they did. I don't uh, have it here. 13 and 17. No, they were, so they played, so they played 24 conference games. If that okay. changes, your right, answer. whatever, they were, what's the answer? They were, they were 12 and 12. Okay. Good enough. And you did you did get it right. They did go to to Gainesville and uh So what were they in a regional? Like a three seed? I'm trying to find it. They would have to be. Um, they wouldn't be a four because that wouldn't be fair to anybody else. Um so they they were there were three bids in Conference USA that year, East Carolina, Rice, and Southern Miss. Um so let's see. They were the three seed at Georgia Tech. Okay, Rice was the auto, they they won the Conference USA tournament. They were the automatic bid. Rice was thirty nine and fifteen that year, sixteen and eight. So Southern Miss beat Elon seventeen to fifteen in the first round of the regional in Atlanta, and then they beat Georgia Tech ten to seven, and then Georgia Tech beats them ten three to force them if necessary, and Southern Miss wins twelve to eight. And then they beat Florida two two in a row. Florida was the them. yeah Florida was the number eight national seed, and they won nine seven seven six. I remember watching them win and it being like, "Are you kidding me?" Like <laughs> that, southern, that Southern team got hot in the postseason. They, did. I don't, I don't even remember who was on that team for Southern Miss, but that yes, was that, that was, was Corky Palmer's last last year. It was his last team, so it was just like the perfect ending. Um, yeah, because they were they were in Oxford in five and seven. They were in the Ole Miss regional in in oh five and oh seven. I think oh five or oh six. I forget which one. I think it was 05, though. I think you're right. Because I think uh, Maine beat them. I think I think Maine came back through and then played Oklahoma. Right? I think you're right. That was the year that Ole Miss 
beat beat um, Oklahoma twenty to five yeah, in, the, in, the, yeah. in the regional final. Yeah. So. All right. So two, it's two thousand nine that they went to the College World mm-hmm. Series, right? Correct. Yes. So, oh no. Wait. What? No, it was Scott Barry that was the coach. Oh, was he or the coach? Okay. So on that team you had Taylor Walker, who I just spoke, Corey Stevens, yeah. Brian Dozier was on that team. Okay, well, that makes sense. Scott Copeland, um, Todd McInnes pitched the most innings, pitched over 100 innings for them that year. Um, so they had he went nine and four on the mound, the lowest ERA on the team, and their pitching staff was not great. They hit 305 as a club. Um, Joey Archer hit 10 home runs for them. Bo Davis hit uh, 14. Yeah, so they, I think they just got hot and hit really well. They had one, two, three, four, four guys with 50 plus RBIs. So, sounds good. All right. Uh, We'll move on to yours now. You're going a little, uh, a little more recent for uh, Mr. Barry's rundown for the day. And here's a, uh, here's a primer for that one. The Oxford Exxon podcast also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. Iron Horse Grill located at 320 East Pearl Street in Jackson. Live music four times per week. The perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. It's also one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601 601- Three nine eight zero one five one for your catering needs. Knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Dead Soxy discounts are back. And while some prices may have risen on the website, the MPW Digital Network podcast and Rebel Grove subscribers will always have access to the best Dead Soxy discounts available. So use promo code Rebel Grove at checkout. Get 30% off the best dress socks you'll ever put on if you were on the fence about getting your kids a pair of the limited edition socks. Use promo code REBELGROVE. Get a pair for you and your child. They'll love them. You will too for under 5 bucks. De- shutdown deals with a promo code combination are available in select styles. So go to deadsoxy.com and make your day a Soxy one. Our friends from Blue Delta Jeans are excited to announce that on October the 16th, the Friday before the Florida game, Blue Delta Jeans will be hosting the second annual Delta Cup Golf Tournament. Oxford Exxon listeners may remember that last year's Delta Cup was taken home by Chase Parham and company, so this year's Delta Cup will be your opportunity to challenge the reigning victors. Tea time will be at 10 a.m. at Mossy Oak Golf Club, and your registration fee will include green and cart fees, food and drinks on the course, as well as a pair of a new pair of blue Delta jeans. Prizes will be up for grabs for hole-in-ones, Closest to the pin and longest drive. The field's going to be limited to 18 teams, so don't wait. Email Tyler, that's T-Y-L-E-R, at BlueDeltaJeans.com to reserve your spot, and they'll see you on the course. We have a amount of my money up uh, from taped earlier this week with Romero Miller. That is brought to you by Pinnacle Trust, Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. They treat investing like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you at Pinnacle Trust. Uh, 
They go the extra mile just for you. And all you got to do is tell them that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Thinking about getting away after four months of uh, lockdown, pandemic lockdown. John knows where all the deals are. He knows what's open, what's kind of open, what's closed. He knows uh, all that because he's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows John to supply his clients with added values, unique benefits, simply not available to other travelers. Get in touch with him. Give him some parameters. Give him a budget. And he will give you options you can't find on your own. And you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email. Edwards at regencytravel.net. First time clients can save $50 off their first book trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's just off Interstate 55 in Grenada, GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And we're brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa, and with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances, up to $50,000, and refund ATM fees nationwide. To learn more about OUB, check out liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. You can get in touch with them at 901-365-3447 or email ben, B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by the law firm of Bain, Moss, and Bowen, PLLC, located in historic downtown Corinth. Their firm practices a wider range of law from DUI defense to car wrecks to representing government entities. It's the only firm in Mississippi made up of a sitting state legislator, a former assistant district attorney, and a former circuit judge. Their experience is unmatched, and you can tap into that experience by seeing them at 618 East Walden Street in Tupelo or by calling them at 662-287-1620. Only one for the Tides offense. But see, Alabama knew the Hugh Freeze wants explosive plays. That's how they beat Alabama last year. They had a couple late in that game. How do you negate that if you're Nick Saban and Kirby Smart? You put those two safeties back there, which really helps you to make it tougher to be able to throw the ball down the field. Unless you get to the middle of the field and you split the safeties, you can throw the tight end, Evan Ingram, to the middle of the field. But otherwise, it's very, very hard to get the ball thrown downfield. And when you can keep two safeties back and still stop a team from running the ball, it could be a long day for an offense. Well, no short yardage gimmage package for the Rebels at the moment. Walton to the right of Kelly. We need about a foot. This is where you hate these offenses where you can't get under center. It's almost six, eight, eight inches. Pick up the first down. High snap. Kelly has to collect it. Makes a desperation heave into traffic. Treadwell off his hands and into the hands of Adebayo. A crazy carom and a touchdown for the Rebels. You know, 
it still worked out as one of the best decisions we ever made, but it was an incredibly dumb decision. That's when we did that whole, hey, we're going to ride a bus with a bunch of fans to Tuscaloosa. Neil and I, like, we had this charter company that was sponsoring it. And we get over there, and I'm going, okay, well, it was fine on the way over, but Ole Miss loses this game, and we're going to be coming back trying to write on God knows what an environment is going to be. Um Instead, they win. It all worked out. We, we we worked on the way home. It was an eight o'clock start to a game. We got back at like three o'clock in the morning. But hey, it was a uh, it, it was it was a risky move that we got a little fortunate there on because it was it God it was scalding that night. Ole Miss had the huge lead and they uh, kind of blew it a little bit there late, but still hold on for the forty three thirty seven win. But you're you're doing the season. You're not doing the game. But uh, yeah, obviously that is one of the pivotal pivotal days <clears throat> from uh, from that from that year. So real quick, I do want to share with you. Um, I don't think I went fully into the into full detail of it, but we talked on the show on Monday about the uh, 2012 Ole Miss A&M game, and I want to run you through what happened because I went ahead and tortured myself and watched the highlights. And I mean, this is just trademark Hugh Freeze offense just sputtering in the red zone over and over and over and having to kick field goals. Um, so I'll, I'll pick things up here in the second half. Up 10, Ole Miss picks off Johnny Manziel and has a chance to go up 17 with 10 minutes left in the fourth. Um, they have a third and long in which they get bailed out by a late hit. Jamez Logan makes a catch, gets out of bounds, hit late. Um, they also got away with uh, just blatant holding call, um, but get a first down. And then uh, end up in another third and long, and uh, Bo sacked on, on like a third and forever. So they punt it, and this is the play that you referenced. They almost get Johnny Manziel for a safety. He throws the ball. Um, I can't remember if they even ruled him down or not, but he had the ball extended away from the goal line. Okay. So not a safety. So then, as we talked about, throws – just heaves a prayer to Mike Evans. Sinquez Golson is in the perfect position to pick it off. Doesn't. Mike Evans hauls it in. First down. Um, I, no- I noticed when I was watching these highlights, Hugh Freeze used all three of his timeouts in the second half before there was even three minutes left in the game. Um, fourth and a half an inch. It was a terrible spot. They called it a fourth down. Um, they went shotgun and ran an inside zone to Jeff Scott. Stuff for a loss. Didn't get it. Uh, and then the uh, the just the cherry on top was Ole Miss has the ball with a minute 16 left. Plenty of time to get down there and either kick a field goal to tie it or win it with a touchdown. Um, they had trips to the right. I can't I have the screenshot here. I can't see who it was. Uh, Might have been Ingram. Ran a slant, was wide open, and uh, Bo threw it to the uh, the in route that uh, Vince Sanders ran. And the safety was just sitting on it, picked it off. That was the ball game. Um, also, just just for fun, Chase, do you remember how many turnovers the Aggies had in this game? Uh, four. They had six. Oh wow. Okay. And almost uh, found a way not to win. So um, again, though, I, like this is not a belling freeze out or anybody else. That was a team that didn't know how to win yet. Like they just like they they, they always did that until they finally won one because they beat the Auburn team <laughs> that sucked. Like they just. If there yeah. was a way to lose, that 12 team was going to find it early. I mean, frankly, it wasn't a whole lot different than 2018 losing to Wake Forest that day. Or even, you know, yeah. or, 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 or messing over against South Carolina once they beat Florida. I mean, there is a certain after you suck, it kind of takes something to kind of go, hey, 
we can win, but then win again too. Like you don't expect it. I mean, you're looking for something to go wrong at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah. How do you lose a game when you uh, force your team into six turnovers? You throw a pick six and you only average 3.4 points per scoring opportunity. So almost had eight scoring opportunities in that game. So anyway, all right, moving on. 2015, almost, almost football. Uh, so the ending was great. Sugar Bowl champs, Laramie Tunsil scores a touchdown. Everybody's running off the plug in the end zone. You're in the Superdome. Um, Chase, this is actually probably going to be good because you might have, I mean, you're in the Superdome getting paid to cover a game. I mean, this is like the best I was, place ever, right? I was nursing one of the worst hangovers of my life that night. I the, the, It was New Year's Eve the night before. You're in New Orleans. It was it was a long night. Um, I I remember I remember going to get lunch the next day, finding a way out of bed to go get lunch, going back to bed, and I barely got dressed in time to catch the the media bus to uh, to make it to the dome. Like I I think I might have eaten something, but yeah, I'm. I, it's it's a memorable night. I have a lot of memories from it. I remember a lot, but I am not feeling well. I mean, even the next night, I'm still kind of struggling a little bit. But yes, it was. I remember early on, and I'll let you back up and kind of take me through it as you want to. But my my couple different memories from that night are, even though Ole Miss sort of sputtered the first couple series, how they were just manhandling Oklahoma State about how this was not going to be a game, this is not going to be close. Ole Miss was completely dominating. And we mentioned this podcast a thousand times. Emmanuel Akbar, whatever his name was for Oklahoma State, it had been the big story all week. Hey, he's against Tunzel. He's against Tunzel. He's against Tunzel. And it was sheer domination. I mean, it was no prayer. At one point, they they flipped Akbar to the other side. Um, Tunzel didn't play in the second half, and he started showing up. Well, he started showing up because 78 was off the field. Um, so I remember the beatdown. I remember that. And then, I mean, because of what came later, I remember when the game's ending – they told us, they said, hey, the locker rooms are open, and you can also, if the players are willing to do it, talk to anybody on the field. And um, so I walked down, and as the clock is ticking down 30, 29, 28, 27, and getting close to the end of the game, I just stand by Laramie Tunzel. I just, like, walk down to his left shoulder, and I'm waiting on the clock to end. He kind of looks over at me and, like, I don't know, shake hands, fist bump, whatever, like he acknowledges me. So as soon as, soon as the clock hits zero, I said, Laramie, you got a second? And he goes, yeah. And a couple staffers for Ole Miss kind of almost came to get him and kind of like pull him away. And Laramie turned to him and goes, no, it's all right. I got it. And turned back around and did the interview. And for whatever reason, that's one of my like my main things I remember is he was like, no, 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 it's cool, like whatever. And, I mean, draft night aside, because I get where it went historically wrong, obviously, for everybody, he was always a good quote and he always wanted to talk. Ole Miss just really did not want him to talk a ton from different levels. But, I mean, he was – he was great, uh, and yeah, those th- those are the biggest things from that takeaway that night. And then also, you know, I think there was a little bit of we didn't know what was coming. You obviously had no way to know about the second NOA and some of the things getting there. But that night was a bit of a celebration too because nobody thought it was over. I mean, everybody thought that 16 team was going to be really good. Chad Kelly was back. Ole Miss was recruiting at a high level. That 16 recruiting class had Shea Patterson and Greg Little in it. I mean, there was a reload nature to that where that night of the Sugar Bowl, it didn't feel like an ending. It just felt like kind of an accumulation that would continue to some level. And I think that's the thing and the stark contrast to reality where Ole Miss has had to completely reset its football program that – 
we probably didn't realize that week. I mean, I remember writing stuff about, hey, this is the recruiting philosophy moving forward, and this is how they've gotten here, and this is Ole Miss trying to become this perennial program, and you know they're in the college football playoff rankings this many years and all this kind of stuff. Instead, looking back, it was uh, it was the last chapter of that uh, of that era where it did not feel like it. I mean, it did. It felt like they hammered Oklahoma State. It felt like, hey, they missed so many opportunities against Memphis and Arkansas, and they shouldn't be playing in this game anyway. Then maybe they should be in the playoff. But hey, they're going to be a top fifteen team next year. Chad Lick, Kelly's coming back, and frankly, even to the halftime of the Florida State game, you're thinking the same thing all the way through the next September. But uh, obviously, it came crashing down after uh, after that point. I think it. I think after that Sugar Bowl, I think for a brief moment, for a week, two weeks, whatever, until everything happened, I think that was the point where Ole Miss fans were like, maybe I shouldn't look to find something that's going to go wrong next. Maybe I should just start to enjoy things. Um, and then you know, second NOA comes out, and everything quickly turns to, well, Ole Miss can't have can't have nice things. Uh, well, the, the, those whole two years were sort of littered with that. As soon as the fan base or the team got confidence that, hey, they're just going to roll and roll and roll, you had a Auburn-Treadwell situation or you had the disaster in Arkansas situation in 14 or the Peach Bowl with all the things. You know what I mean? Like, And then you get into 15, yeah. it's like, hey, you beat Alabama and you, you hammer A&M. Well, Memphis happened. And then, you know, Florida happened. It just – like the roller coaster nature of that is what is amazing because – Look, Hugh Freeze said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. I'll probably say it a thousand more before I stop doing podcasts. He showed Ole Miss fans you can win, win at a high level, and win championships. He also did it without being completely efficient. Those coaching staff should have been better. Those teams should have been better. I mean, it was it was not the most efficient situation in the world at all, and they still won. So, I mean, if Ole Miss wants to hang his hat on something, that's it. The, 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 the pieces can easily be in place to win titles uh, because they showed yeah. how close it can be with, with having a lot of missteps along the way. Well, absolutely. I, I'm the one of the biggest critics of Hugh Freeze. I've been pretty adamant about that. I've not, I've not tried to hide my my feelings towards that person. But you can probably thank him. You, I mean, you can probably thank him close to 100 percent for Blaine Kiffin being an auction right now because Blaine, Blaine Kiffin has mentioned that in interviews over and over and over that he saw that that 14 team, he saw that 15 team, he saw that you could win big at Ole Miss, and that was one of the biggest factors uh for him taking the job uh all right so let's 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 rewind a bit and let's walk through this so the 14 season was like you said highs and lows they finished nine and three um lost to arkansas auburn and lsu um all three uh aside from the arkansas game which was a rainstorm they get blown out auburn lsu games could have easily won both of those um, so they were in the first ever college football playoff ranking. Um, Ole Miss uh, knocked out two top five teams, number three, Alabama, and number four, Mississippi State. I think people forget um, Mississippi State was ranked that high. But State had a chance um, to get into the playoff with a little help that day. They win, and Alabama yeah. loses. So uh, Ole Miss was ranked as high as number three in the AP poll, and uh, like I said, first ever playoff ranking, and then they lost back-to-back to LSU and Auburn. Um, ending emphatically their chances at uh, a playoff. People forget that. Even with the LSU loss, they were still in position to still make it if they had beaten Auburn. Sure. Um, so they end up ranked number nine, uh, and then it just completely just exploded at the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. 
They lose 42-3. to Laramie Tunsil breaks uh, his ankle. Yeah, like, just, I remember as soon as the Tunsil thing happens, nobody's even thinking about the game at all. Like, it's just it, – it's no. it, there, there's a sickness for Laramie at that point that is that is right. hard to imagine. Plus, I was having to deal with my brother, who's like the president of the Laramie Tunsil fan club. So, I was <laughs> – you're, you're playing a lot of different roles. And then – TCU had not brought any media, but like the ones they got there were celebrating to a point. It's like you 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 beat a team that was out all night. You won forty two to three. Like shut up. Like I don't. They were like all in the way and they were loud. They were like doing videos in the press box and it's like holy hell, what is going on with you idiots? Well, the good news was that um, Neil and uh, national columnist Pat Forty got along. That, oh, that. they had the mind your beat conversation when Pat was saying you take Bo Wallace out of the game that that that, that night. That's right. Yeah. Um, like, why are you tweeting that in a game where it doesn't matter? Like, come on. Um. Anyway, so look, sucky ending to a season that had a ton of promise, but um, come back, sign a pretty good recruiting class. You sign four stars: Demarcus Lodge, DJ Jones, Van Jefferson, Tony Bridges, Eric Sweeney. Uh, what could have been? And Javon Patterson. Who? Um, yeah, talk about just injuries just suck in sports. Um, so 21st ranked recruiting class. So not great, but still you're, you're, we're, we're doing awesome here. Uh, all right. 2015 season first game. You've got Chad Kelly transferred in from EMCC, all the hype in the world. Had to win the quarterback job, you know, but he somehow Uh, pulled it out. Had to, I mean, I thought for the longest time they were just going to give the keys to uh, Ryan Buchanan. They didn't. Um, was that a Kellenberger so, joke based off his column? It, it is. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> so then uh, in comes Jason Simpson and the UT Martin Skyhawks. Had him on the podcast. We asked him that day, said, what's your goal today? And he goes, a W. And we went, <laughs> okay. Like, okay, great. <laughs> he goes, well, I mean, you don't play the game unless you can win. Okay, Jason, really. Like, take your paycheck, head on back to Martin, and have a good time. Hey, I'll say this real quick. I was looking at this the other day because I wanted to yeah. know because his son's – a huge uh, recruit now. Uh, he's going to be a junior. Okay. Um, probably uh, Ole Miss's top quarterback prospect for uh, for next class. I, I looked it up. So like, how long has he been there? He has been at Tennessee at U. So that they're now officially UT Martin. No more Tennessee Martin. Okay. He has been there since '06. Um, he has won seven or more games. One, two. Three, four, five, six, seven times. Oh well, okay. So he takes his licks playing SEC teams at least a couple times a year, but he's done a pretty good job. He's eighty-seven and 73, 69 and forty-two in his conference. So the point was just be normal. Like, well, right, like yeah. just be normal. Don't 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 don't, don't be a coach. Yeah, obviously, if you're in the game in the fourth quarter, great. But come on. Um, if you weren't at Vaught Hemingway that day, or you just forgot, uh, they didn't win. Uh, Seventy to seventy-six to three. Okay, yeah. Um, Chad, I don't even think he played the second half. Threw for two eleven. Um, Ole Miss wins emphatically. Yeah, Game Chad two. just like picks. Say Chad just beats the shit out of UT Martin and Fresno to start the year, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, uh, yeah. Fresno, I, I don't remember how long he played, but he threw for three forty-six. And uh, they dropped 73 on their head. Um, Quincy had 120 yards receiving. Okay. The leading rusher for Ole Miss, can you guess him? Can you guess the name? Uh, Mark Dotson. Nope. Okay, I don't know. 
Okay, it was Devontae Kincaid. Oh, 48, oh, really? <laughs> 48 yards rushing. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. All right, so game three in Tuscaloosa, number two Alabama. I think they might have been number one in one in the AP. I don't know. The but. payback game, Ole Miss has beaten the crap out of two teams so far. They're coming off the Peach Bowl. I mean, what, what's Ole Miss ranked at this point? What at is Ole, this Ole, point, Ole Miss was ranked – Like 12 or something? Uh, 15. Okay, gotcha. So 15 going into number two Alabama. So at this point, Ole Miss had not won in Tuscaloosa since, I believe, 88. 88. So uh, it had... On the day that they uh, honored Bear Bryant with whatever. That's right. Go ahead. Been a day and a minute since they had done that. 101,821 attended. uh, Ole Miss winning 43-37. Alabama was dealing with their own quarterback controversy at the time. Before settling on one Jay Coker. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that. Um, they started um, Cooper Bateman. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. It, I tell you what, it didn't happen very often. But walking out of Bryant Denny after a game like that, after Alabama loses, is one of the more interesting things ever because they are getting the hell out of Dodge. Nobody saying mm-hmm. a word. The Bama fans are out. They are packing their crap up and headed home. They're 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 back in Bessemer before midnight here. Like they're moving. No, yeah, they can they can drive through Hardee's on the way home and they're they're done. Um, Chad threw for three forty one against a Nick Saban defense. Um, yeah. Impressive on the road too. Uh, Cody Core one hundred and twenty three yards receiving. Jordan Wilkins led the team just thirty nine yards rushing. But uh, Cody Core very I, underrated for his career. Yeah, very very underrated. Um, so I mean, this game was just. Uh, an absolute beatdown. I know that Bama scored 20 in the fourth, made it look closer than it really was. Well, it made it a little um, too close because they got the ball back at least trying to go down and score. I mean, they, yeah. there was a pick and it was over. But, I mean, they, they did get the ball back in their hands to score a touchdown and take the lead. They had one final possession, 31 seconds left at their own 30. Uh, couldn't get a first down. Almost runs the clock out. So, back-to-back times, they uh, back-to-back seasons beating Alabama. First time ever and the only uh, the second time they've ever won in Tuscaloosa. How crazy is that? Um, who was the next week? When the what? Who was the next week? Next week was Vandy. Okay, all right. A uh, little bit of a hiccup here. Almost only won 27-16. I was at this game. It was not a comfortable game. In Nashville? I don't remember uh, this no, game. No, it was in Oxford. Was it? Okay, I do not remember this game. Ole Miss was uh, the favorite. Can you guess the line? Mm, 16. 27. Oh, wow. Okay. So 27-16. I, I remember uh, Chad didn't have his best game, um, <laughs> which is funny to say. Uh, now I, I'm looking at it. I, I guess not his best game is, is a terrible way to uh, phrase throwing for 321. Okay. Um, how in the world does he throw for 321 and they only score 27? Um, Jalen Walton had a big game, ran for 133. Laquan Treadwell had 135 yards receiving. So not a comfortable win, but they get it done. Kind of one of those games you have to win if you're wanting to win the West and get to Atlanta, the the game after the huge emotional win. And it was at home, too, so that would have been a bad look to get that. Yeah, did, um, did not bounce back as well. as Because, I mean, you know, in 14, like I, as, as much as that Alabama was the story of the season, 
the whipping they put on A&M the next week in 14 was more of like when you left the stadium and went, hey, this is real. Like, wow, they bounced back that well. Mm-hmm. Like, that was that, that was a kicking in College Station that night. Whereas, like you said, they kind of sputtered a little more in 15. Yeah. All right. Week uh, five. Is that the Florida Gators? Travel to Gainesville. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss was a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, this was uh, Will Greer, though, is the quarterback for the Florida Gators. That is correct. Yeah, uh, he was uh, later uh, exposed for using steroids. Yeah, um, which I think helped him. I think at one point in the game, he threw off his back foot while Kibdichi was hitting him, and I believe he completed like a 35, 40 yard pass. That's not normal. No. Okay. Um, Chad still threw for two fifty nine. Um, Ole Miss only scores 10 points. They say they were uh, so bad early. They just oh, kind of yeah, got just, ran out of it early, never got any momentum. I mean, it was it was ugly from the start. So it was... They were also wearing those blue uniforms. Yeah, the blue pants. Yeah. With Rebels down the side. Not, not, not a good With the Rebels down the side. I remember the white tops with the blue stripes. Yeah, 25 nothing at halftime. Miss oh. only manages a field goal in the third and then gets a late garbage touchdown. Um, what was the final? It was 38-10. Oh, God. Okay. So this was third-ranked Ole Miss on the road. <laughs> and, I mean, this was kind of like that last kind of, you know, speed bump hurdle, if you will, if, that you had to get over if you're really wanting to make some plans to uh, be in a hotel in Atlanta in December. Uh, all right, so... Cool. One loss. Next week, Mexico State, 52-3. Larry Rose playing running back from New Mexico State. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chad throws for 384. Uh, Eugene Brasley, 98 yards rushing. I remember Treadwell. that. Yeah. Treadwell, another great game, 136 yards receiving. Uh, then we go to Memphis. At Memphis, October 17th. Uh, Ole Miss was the favorite by 10 points. Uh, it's a good Memphis team. And good Memphis team. Good Max Memphis Lynch, team. really good quarterback. Uh, I will say this. I was at this game as well. Paxton Lynch and Memphis absolutely gave it to Ole Miss that day. Well, you had the you had the you had the Treadwell pass and the Kamdichi playing running back at the same time on that uh, on on that fateful day in in the Bluff yeah. City. Yeah. Um, I don't even know. I guess you had the Jeremy Liggins coming in in a goal line situation to miss the Hugh Freeze trifecta there. Um, but yeah, just a not a good game. Um, Ole Miss jumped out to, I guess, they scored 14 in the first quarter, but then Memphis had a 17-point second half and then uh, held Ole Miss scoreless in the fourth. Bad, bad loss. Uh, all right, the next week, you think... You think say right. so in a way they feel dead and buried there. Like that they even kind of had a chance later in the year is what's incredible about that. Because I remember once the Memphis game ended, you kind of went, "Well, okay, that's yeah, that's it." This this is where I think you you kind of need to really just look in amazement at how good Chad Kelly was because I think it, even with like a Bo Wallace or somebody, I don't know if anybody else can really revive this team. And give them a shot, but they come back home. A and M top fifteen team. Ole Miss was still the favorite by six here, which is wild. Um, this was just an absolute dominating performance by the defense. Yeah. Um, Who played they, quarterback for A and M? They had the other kid that day. 
the backup uh, was, I believe, Jake Hubenek. That's right. Yes. Go ahead. Um, or did he come yeah. in? Did like Kyle Allen and somebody or somebody start, and then he came in? So, I think you're right. They also had Kyler Murray on the roster and didn't play him. <laughs> um, so just an absolute train wreck of a game for Kevin Sumlin and the Aggies. Um, almost just dominated. They kind of took their took their time. They were methodical. Kyle Allen threw for 88 yards and had a pick in this game. Um, the other quarterbacks, Jake Hubenek was the only quarterback that uh, attempted a pass for the Aggies. He was six of 11 for 48 or 46 yards. Um, the total QBR for those two on this day, uh, 41.2. So, not bad. And that's total, not average. Uh, not a, not a good day. Uh, Ole Miss just completely dominated the game. I, that was a another one of those Tunsil games where it was really fun to watch because aside from like one play where Miles Garrett was just a monster and jumped up, tipped the pass, and then intercepted it, uh, Laramie completely dominated him that so day. So Ole Miss is six and two at this point. That is correct. Okay. Um. So we are moving along to Auburn. So on the plains. Uh, Auburn won the last uh, the last year, 35-31, obviously the Laquan game. Um, so completely drub, drag A&M through the mud. Um, this is a game where you're looking to keep your SEC West title hopes alive. you got to beat Auburn. Uh, so you got to run road. the table, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, just memory serves here. I believe Ole Miss, not great on the Plains. Hardly ever play well there. Yeah, one win there a decade on average, I believe, since the 1990. <laughs> no, seriously, I is think that, that's right. Is that good? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Ole Miss, <laughs> dude, Vegas loved Ole Miss this year. Still the favorite. Eight, Ole Miss minus eight and a half going into this one. Uh, so it wasn't the best Auburn team. So uh, looking to uh, continue their trek to win the West. Uh, Ole Miss wins 27-19. Uh, this was another just methodical dominating game there was a treadwell uh, reception in this game that i remember where he just like manhandled some db down the sidelines that's the really only highlight i have of this game in my head at all it yeah it was similar to the uh the pass he caught in tuscaloosa that year where just completely out just completely mossed on cyrus jones and just took the ball away from him he did the same thing uh to an auburn defender treadwell had 114 yards receiving in this game, Chad threw for 381. Uh, if you're keeping score at home, I, I'm, I'm saying how many yards Chad throws for every game because he was the um, – on ESPN, they list the highest passer, rusher, receiver for each game. Uh, yeah, Chad threw for more yards than anybody in every game. He Chad finished the season – I mean, he might have already had this, but I'll go ahead and throw it in now – um, as the number three all-time SEC total offense leader, other than Johnny Manziel's two seasons. So, better than Cam Newton's Heisman campaign, better than Tim T- Tebow's Heisman. Uh, Chad finished, yeah, at the time, was the number three all-time SEC total offense person. Yeah. Just imagine the records he sets if he plays more than one and a half seasons. I mean, with all due respect to Bo, if he's just on that 14 team. Yeah. When you've already defense. got the number one defense in the country from a scoring standpoint. Yeah. Um, all right, so this brings us to the Arkansas game. Ole Miss, seven-and-a-half-point favorite. 
Hmm. Looking looking to avenge the thirty to nothing beat down the year before. Yeah. Um I don't know if you have I have yet to go back and rewatch this game. I've never seen a play other than the obvious one that you can't get away from. Um Brandon Allen's the quarterback for Arkansas. Alex Collins obviously is one of the running backs. Hunter um, Henry. Yeah. Tied yeah. in. Um Back and forth. No way nobody could stop anybody. It was just Score, 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 score. One of the most bizarre games I can ever remember, win or lose. Um, Laquan, seven catches, 132 yards and a touchdown. Chad ran for 110 yards and three touchdowns on just 11 carries. Uh, Brandon Allen did best him this day, 442 and six touchdowns. I forgot, this was the one game. Uh, Chad threw for, I believe... 368 and three touchdowns. Um, can you guess who had the most receiving yards for Arkansas this game? For Arkansas? Yeah. Uh, if you get this, I'll, I'll give you 100,000 Rebel Grove bucks. Then no, I have no idea. Who was it? It was Drew Morgan. Nine catches, 122 yards, and three touchdowns. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that you say that, I remember Drew Morgan just having, one of the, having the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the most bizarre stat in this game that I did not know until today. Time of possession. Ole Miss had the ball for just 18 minutes and 57 seconds. I didn't know that. Arkansas had it for 41, 41 minutes. Yeah. That's insane. Um, yeah, com- just absolute back and forth. Arkansas scores first. Jalen Walton scores. Then it's just boom, 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 boom. It's nobody really st- – the entire game. Uh, it was there. There were no back-to-back scores by either team. It was back and forth, literally. Um, we obviously know what happens. Uh, you know, in overtime, Chad scores. Almost goes up. Almost gets the stop. Marquis Haynes, just an absolute shit luck play where he just grabs the face mask. I just, I don't know. It's cursed. That's what keeps everybody. People forget that that even with all the other crap, they still scored first. It got the stop. So, uh, yeah. Brandon Allen ran it in for the game winner. Yeah. So, uh, here is where I think this is something that is just remarkable about this team and just kind of their resolve. And I don't know if it was who, you know, who were the leaders in the locker room were or if it was just you had Chad Kelly. I fully anticipated LSU to come in and just absolutely beat the brakes off of Ole Miss that next week. God, and they look good. That was those white uniforms. I mean, just not even a question uh, who won the, the pregame. Um, CBS game, and LSU did not. No, it was, it was a beatdown. Oh. It was a drop. Mag- this Magnolia Bowl was as bad as the 08 version. I mean, I think Ole Miss could have named their score that day. And, I mean, this was... This was Laquan having his way with Tredavious White. Like, he was just manhandling their entire secondary. Jalen Collins had no shot. Nobody wanted to cover number one. Um, Leonard Fournette had that huge run in the first quarter that was called back on a penalty after that. He essentially just pouted the entire game. And uh, just being a being a baby, was mad he wasn't getting the ball enough. Uh, they had that chance to score, I believe, in the second quarter. And uh, he and... Um, I believe who was their quarterback? Was it Jordan? 
Jordan Jefferson? Uh, he was gone by then, wasn't he? No, yeah, you're right. It was no, who was it? Um, they had the miscue on the uh, toss sweep, where he went for the handoff and the quarterback went to toss it. That's right. It was number. It was number six. The quarterback. I can't remember his name. You remember? It wasn't that? Rohan Davy. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just a absolute train wreck for for Les Miles. Uh, Brandon Harris. That was his name. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Still through for uh. Over 300, but... Yeah, they played him uh, and Anthony Jennings. That's right. Um, yeah, 38-17, never close, almost wins. 8-3, 5-2 in the SEC West. Um, at this point, completely out of the running to win the West, but uh, going to So, well, I mean, you say that, but couldn't they have had a win and then an Alabama loss? Because that opens up a tiebreaker at two losses each. Ooh. They need oh. Auburn to beat Bama, and they would win. Right? Was that the case? I don't remember that. I mean, I think it would have to be just doing the math because Bama didn't lose again. But if you win, right, you're six and two. You they're the six and two, so. and you have the tiebreaker. I guess that is. Okay. You would have the tiebreaker on anybody else who could win it because Arkansas wasn't winning it. <laughs> no. Yeah, because because yeah, because Bama went fourteen and one. Yeah. And so won that, it all. so actually, they could have beat State because I remember watching the Auburn Alabama game in the state press box and Auburn sort of toyed with them enough to kind of make it a game but then Alabama won before Ole Miss actually got on the field or got into the game so it was over I think by the time they played but they went into the day with the ability to win the West okay man I don't even remember that maybe I just mentally was like no it's yeah yeah because that Auburn team was not good yeah 29-13 so it was a sloppy iron bowl um yeah no one even came close to A&M had a shot, lost 41-23, but yeah, they even dominated Georgia that year, 38-10. So Alabama, that, that was kind of one of those where Ole Miss beat them and then they just got pissed off and beat the hell out of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Egg Bowl, famous for um, Dak Ole- Prescott most likely pooping his pants in this game. And Ole Miss being up so big early, they were up 21 nothing, 24 nothing, first, something like that? First quarter, yeah. They were up 28-3 at halftime. Um, you had just a couple dominating uh, opening drives. Tony Bridges has the pick six. And, um, yeah, State scored 14 in the fourth quarter to just make it look close. But this was one of those games, Chase, where Dan Mullen would just coach to where he wasn't coaching to win. He was just coaching to, to cover the spread or to keep it close. The last time that these two teams had played was in the 2010 Cotton Bowl, which was probably the most boring bowl game I've ever been to. 21 to 7? Is that right? Yep. Okay. It was miserable. It was cool to be in Jerry World, but it was so boring. Yeah, it was. It had nowhere near the flair or the interest for Ole Miss that the year before against Texas Tech did. No, yeah, absolutely not. Um because, I mean, that was, you know, last game in the original Cotton Bowl. Um, I believe the Ole Miss side of the stadium ran out of beer and hot dogs by halftime. So it was a bloodbath. All right. Oklahoma State, top 20 team, not bad. Um, Ole Miss just absolutely doesn't even waste, uh, well, I will say they don't waste any time, but they got out to a slow start. Chad threw an early pick, uh, but the defense played really well. And uh, Chad threw for 302. Evan Ingram is actually the leading receiver on this uh, in this game. He had 96 yards receiving. 
Chad was a leading rusher as well, ran for 73 yards. Um, yeah, I mean, it was an impressive finish to a disappointing season where you beat LSU and State back-to-back and then dominate in the Sugar Bowl, which was, um, you probably know, the uh, first time since 1970 they were in the Sugar Bowl. And, uh, yeah, just just an absolute throttling. There's no doubt what game Hugh Freeze would like to have back. Arkansas. Yeah, I Not mean, just uh, – Well, and that Oklahoma yeah, State team, too, they were – they were motivated for that game. I'm not going to give them that kind of pass, but they were reeling a little bit because that was a team that was 10 and 0 on the season. They were 10 and 0 on November 14th when they finished off Iowa State in Ames 35-31, and then they lost 3 in a row to finish the season. Yeah. Now, it was obviously a difficult stretch here, but they had beaten number 5 TCU. That was the only ranked team they had played. They went 10 and 0 through the first 11 weeks, and their only ranked team was number five TCU. They won 49-29 in, in Stillwater. So they're 10-0, and they're ranked number five in the country, and then they play, or number four in the country, and they play Baylor, who's number 10, get beat 45-35. They're number nine in the country when they play number five Oklahoma, and they get beat 58-23 to close the year, and then they sputter into the, the, the Sugar Bowl against Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, this was just the... This was kind of the perfect ending. Um, you had the you know the touchdown to Laramie Tunsil at the end of the first half, which I guess he – I don't think he even had shoulder pads on when they came out for the second half. Um, yeah, he never played. Um, they had run that play in practice a little in, in the weeks leading up. Um, he had to make a pretty athletic play on it. He had to kind of go get the ball a little bit because yeah. Chad threw it out in front of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was sort of kicking the corpse at that point. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, it was over. I mean, it, it was yeah. done. Thirty-four to six halftime lead. Um, Ole Miss ends up winning, obviously forty-eight to twenty. They end up in the top ten in the in the final AP poll. Their first top ten finish since nineteen sixty-nine, when Johnny Vaught was the coach, and uh, probably Ole Miss's best season ever. Um, well, no, they had the the year where they went ten, ten and one or whatever when they lost LSU the, and Billy Cannon. The the fifty nine, yeah, that the 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 year where they beat him in the Sugar Bowl twenty one to nothing, but nobody talks about that. Okay, sorry, I read first first their first top ten finished since nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So best season since the bottom. That is correct. Is yeah. what I should have said. That's fine. Um, yeah. So just uh, a complete beat down, like we talked about before I started. Just you thought this was just the only the beginning to, um. You know, just the the ball, the snowball was starting to build in terms of they were going to get things rolling. You win your 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 first Access Bowl, and Chad Kelly kind of rides off into the sunset. One of the best quarterbacks ever in SEC history, Ole Miss history, um, and then it all comes crashing down. Um, but yeah, the the what ifs here are just really really hard. Just just gut punches because look, you lose to that Florida team in October, but you get a chance to play them again in Atlanta. And this was, I guess, after Will Greer. They said their quarterback. quarterback was not Will Greer at that point. No. I mean, you have a, a real shot to get some revenge. And without Will Greer and the way that team was playing, beating LSU and beating State, I I would have, if the line was 12, I would have laid them. Yeah, Treon Harris had no chance in an SEC championship against whoever, whomever he was playing at that point. I mean, look, it's it's the ultimate gut punch because 
at Florida, Florida team was fine, but nothing crazy. Arkansas and Memphis. You went two out of three, and you were in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Now you can argue: Do they beat Arkansas? Does pressure get to them against LSU or State? I, I don't think so. I think they were they were dominant. They were dominant from a physical standpoint in, the, in, in both those games. I think they win. I mean, it's it's yeah, yeah. I mean, this was like we talked about. This team rebounded well when they got knocked down. I mean, it wasn't. And even the you know the the one hiccup game against Vandy at home, they found a way to win it because I ultimately think Chad was the difference there. He was just when he needed to make the big throw, when he needed to make a play, he made a play. Um, even the Arkansas loss, you can't blame that on Chad. He did literally everything he could to win that one. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there you go. There's a 2015 season. So we have given. Everyone, plenty of uh, ammo to uh, get angry. At we'll us. be a little nicer next time. We might do one of these next week where we talk about things that actually didn't end uh, end well. Uh, there's a, there, there, there's some options there. So you know, I mean, I guess it, it it is painful, but also, I mean, the first Sugar Bowl since 1970. I still think people got it. Well, the 2009 Ole Miss baseball team won the SEC. They went 20 and 10 in the league. I mean, it's not yeah. completely. Chopped you got up. to hang a banner. Everybody knows what happened in 14. Why do we need to talk about that? Um, yeah. I mean, I could do 18 if they'd like. We can go through that regional. Um, <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched a pitch since then. I have not watched a pitch either. of the 18 regional. I have no idea. Like, even Colin yesterday was mentioning stuff on Twitter, and I was like, I don't remember that. I have no I have no idea. Um, yeah, Stanford no, has cut. I have no motivation to rewatch that. Stanford has cut 11 sports today. Oh. I am wearing a Stanford shirt today. So. Are you really? There we Why? go. Why? Nice campus. Okay. Do you, do you do that? Do you buy shirts from everywhere you go? Uh, yeah. I mean, this was uh, on our honeymoon. We drove up the the PCH, went from San Diego all the way up to San Fran. And uh, I was like, I want to stop in Palo Alto and go check out their campus. And, you know, I was kind of like, well, you know, I'll pick a Pac-12 team. And I was like, I like Stanford. I'll pick Stanford. And, uh, yeah. Nice, nice old team shop. Went in there and got a shirt. Stanford has thirty-six sports, so they've cut eleven of that. Um, it is men's and women's fencing, field hockey, lightweight rowing, men's rowing, co-head and women's sailing, squash. They had no idea they played squash at the collegiate level. Synchronized swimming, men's volleyball, and wrestling. Those last two seem pretty big. Yeah, it does. Those are the ones. Um, Men's men's volleyball is big out west. So they do they they cut those eleven. They've got a baseball program that finds ways to not let Derek Diamond into uh in, in, into its in, into its roster. So um you know got some stuff going on out there in Palo Alto. Uh, could you imagine all the uh, Derek Diamond at the sunken diamond jokes <laughs> they would have made? I mean, just a gift from above for Ole Miss. Like, hey, that's a top 30 kid who can't get in, but also didn't find out until so late in the process that he can only take like three visits. Just got to pick some schools and and see what's what. Hey, Um, I mean, that right there is the perfect example. That school, along with several other institutions that are high-level athletics, they will not bend the rules. There are some. well, it, it's one some, of the ways. Somebody it, like somebody like Stanford is not going to make an exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like that. They, that they're not impressed by that. Now, if I'm their baseball coach, I'm pissed off to all levels of oh. of, of hell. 
I mean, it's why it's one of the reasons Schlossnagel um, entertained the state job and some other jobs as well is um, he was trying to get a little more academic freedom from a eligibility standpoint at TCU, um, and I think he got it. But that was one of the the, the gripes there at uh, at the time when he was looking around for some uh, for some other gigs. But yeah, I wonder yeah. why I wonder why Stanford is cutting them. Because well, we we talked about endowments the other day, and they're not yeah, but struggling you, there. They won't get into an endowment for operating expenses. No school will do that. So this is just a matter of saving money. It's on a matter of operating expense budget. Yeah, schools will not get into their endowments for uh, for operating expenses. I don't know why. Rainy, I don't know the, really the, the reasons for fund, that. If you will. Well, it's not even that. It's more of like, hey, if we get into this and that number changes, you've got so many. I'm not a math guy at all, so forgive me here. But like, you don't. Yeah. There's a planned out reason for that from a endowment standpoint, scholarship standpoint, all these different things where you just don't cut that number from whatever it's uh it's expected to be. But gotcha. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, those are the topics today. We'll have more to you throughout the week. Uh, probably a little more current events as there is a, there's a few things going on. I think the Ivy League today is when they're choosing to announce they're going to play spring football instead of fall football. That has no domino effect on anything else, by the way, again, from uh, Monday's show. So hope you uh, enjoyed our look down memory lanes a little bit, the what-ifs from uh, 2009 baseball, 2015 football, although they were successful seasons. So for, uh, for Zach, for me, we'll talk to you again soon.